0: Here we are. It's the Monday edition coming off a rather busy weekend. A lot of things going on in the big town as well as uh, outside. And, uh, you know, I wanted to talk about some of the things that may be happening outside of Toronto that we were anticipating could be happening here instead. Amazon, Amazon's headquarters, too, which is much ballyhooed, bringing 50,000 jobs and all the ancillary multiplier effects, as it were, uh, may in fact be headed to Northern Virginia. That's where the smart money at least says they're going for a variety of reasons. Let's find out what those are. John Turley-Ewart has joined us on the line, risk management consultant specializing in capital markets with extensive experience on Bay and Wall Streets. Johnny, how are you doing this afternoon?
1: I'm great. How are you, John?
0: Likewise, fine. So uh, what do you hear? What do you know, Amazon? And why would it be that uh, Northern Virginia would come out in favor uh, or, or rather than Toronto?
1: Well, First of all, it's in the U.S., and I don't think there's any doubt that uh, the folks behind Amazon understand the political context of the of our times. A uh, U.S. company uh, locating a large office with 25,000 jobs outside of the U.S. would be uh, politically untenable. Uh, I think they're looking at Northern Virginia uh, largely because it's got the infrastructure and, uh, I would argue, the housing prices uh, that is likely going to attract uh, those 25,000 jobs. And the people uh, really are looking for... Or, uh, places that are affordable. And Toronto is, is one of the difficult places to live, as you well know.
0: All right. And so uh, is it only about that, or is it the real estate, besides housing, the real estate for maybe empty office space? I don't know uh, how Toronto's faring. I think our vacancy rate is rather low. Is that a criterion by which Amazon would be selecting?
1: Oh, and uh, there's no doubt about that. The cost of doing business uh, in cities like Toronto or New York uh, and San Francisco are astronomical uh, compared to some of the smaller centers uh, like you would see in Northern Virginia. There's also a question about what kind of uh, benefits, if you want to put it that way, uh, Amazon is being offered by these jurisdictions. So as you know, just like in the auto industry, there's uh, bidding wars that go on for these uh, these offices now. Uh, I'd be curious, to see what was uh, offered to Amazon by, by the folks in Northern Virginia,
0: well, and Bezos owns the Washington Post. He's hanging around the nation's capital. Uh, I guess you know that would pro- the proximity of Northern Virginia, Crystal City, is what they're actually saying. I think it's a suburb of Washington, right? Uh, you know, as Oakville is to Toronto, kind of idea. Uh, does that have any kind of merit as a consideration?
1: I think there's 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 no doubt that uh, you don't want to have to travel far, do you? No, <laughs> you know, having to fly across the country to go from uh, your your newspaper to your uh, your your main primary business is is uh, all, always a nuisance. But I think there's no question that uh, you know Bezos is positioning himself as someone who wants to influence the body politic in the U.S. Uh, buying the Washington Post uh, signals that. I think having offices located in the Washington area signals that. And, you know, this is someone who, as you know, doesn't get along with the current president very well. No,
0: no, he doesn't. Uh Uh, The other thing is, I mean, they cite transit and Northern Virginia, Maryland as well. You know, this was also something speculated, again, proximity to Washington. But their transit systems are rather sophisticated, and we can't say the same about Toronto, can we?
1: Well, uh, certainly not. Uh, There's no question that uh, in terms of getting around Toronto, it is uh, very challenging. Uh, I would argue that many folks might want to live in Milton or outside Richmond Hill uh, and trying to get them down to uh, offices in downtown Toronto would be uh, complex, to say the least.
0: Again, with John Turley, we're we're talking about Amazon and uh, some of the plans that they have which may or may not include toronto but now the smart money even the punters are betting it's going to be northern virginia but it ain't going to be toronto even though we were shortlisted in the top 20 the finalists the only canadian city to have uh made that list amazon's doing something else of interest i guess this is the size of uh you know a company that can crush all of its uh competition if there is any left uh they're going to offer free shipping for the Christmas holiday season, as long as you order before Christmas. That $25 minimum that was required for free shipping is being eliminated. And uh, even where you pay 119 a year for a prime membership, they're starting this offer as of today. Is it about competitive advantage and that they can afford to do this?
1: Well, it's, it's, it's a lost leader, John. My understanding is that uh, that that uh, no minimum for for shipping is is U.S. only, by the way. So you might want to check to see if it actually applies in Canada. My understanding is is that Amazon wants to go after Target and Walmart. Uh, Both of them, of course, have uh, shipping fees and and require minimum orders for that uh, shipping to be free. This is one way to, as you run into the holiday season, is to put pressure on your competition to try and crush some of their margins so that uh, as you emerge from that holiday season and you look at – you know, the quarter results that follow it, see who made the most money.
0: Right. And, of course, we've got right around the bend, to Black Friday, which is the biggest shopping day of the year. Uh, certainly in the States, I mean, Canada's trying to to follow suit because of the you know the competitive nature that people would order online. So this is something that, uh, again, we'll see uh, rather quickly how much Amazon does make from dropping their shipping fees. Something else is happening on the corporate front. Lowe's is closing 31 Canadian stores and other locations, 20 stores in the U.S. Lowe's bought up Rona out of Quebec uh, just a couple of years ago. I think it was $3.2 billion or something along those lines. Yep. Uh, What's going on? I mean, is this just, again, the nature of capitalism and retail and consolidating?
1: Well, you know, look, we've got a a flat housing market right now. We have uh, higher interest rates. Uh, Whenever you have a merger, there's always a possibility of being overstored, if I could put it that way. There's 31 Canadian stores that are being shut. Twenty-four of those are branded uh, as Rona stores. According to Lowe's, 27 of those are underperforming. Uh, and and so basically, whenever you go into a merger, you give uh, your various uh, operations a chance to show their stuff, so to speak. And in this case, I think Lowe's has seen 31 stores as uh, a way to reorganize. And, of course, 20 in the States, uh, you know, their stock has been under pressure. It's down from about 110 U.S. to uh, just around 97 over the past month. And like I say, with flat housing and higher uh, interest rates, it's you know you're not moving a lot of uh, those uh, those those goods out of the low stores right now. So they're they're basically making sure that they maintain their profits.
0: Yeah. Well, nine in Ontario are shutting, and uh, a number of them in our area in the GTA. The Rona in Mississauga's Westdale Mall is closing. Uh, the one on Lakeshore Road in Mississauga is closing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peterborough. Uh, the Lowe's at North York in Centerpoint Mall at Young and Steele's, that's also closing. I noticed two in Sault Ste. Maria, Lowe's and Arona. I mean, they're overserved. That's the word you were using, overserved. Right. I've got to ask you finally, because I know I saw you in attendance Friday at the Monk debate. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, what was your takeaway from that in general? Just a broad overview, uh, notwithstanding, of course, the protests outside and some inside that sort of went off half cocked, it seemed to me anyway. What was your takeaway or your thought on that whole
1: thing? So, uh, you know, you know what? It was testimony to to, to free speech and and uh, how uh, strongly held that that value was in Canada. I don't know if uh, if you recalled uh, early on into the the, the, the program when uh, Steve Bannon started talking, a young woman unfurled the banner and started shouting. And uh, everyone applauded her for for exercising her free speech, but uh, continued to applaud to drown her out, to let her know that you know we sat here in, in this meeting room to hear two sides of a debate, and it wasn't there for anyone to shut down. And uh, when she was asked if she wanted to uh, you know be quiet and to stay, she meekly said, "Yes,
0: <laughs> yes, I'll, I'll just stay." <laughs> right, Uh There's commitment. Uh, but, but you know, it was interesting too because even Bannon applauded the fact that. You know, hey, uh, she has her right to express herself. You sort of have expressed yourself. Now uh, we move on. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and when he also uh, referred to the deplorables, it's like uh, taking ownership of the word because Hillary Clinton uh, gave them manna from heaven. You know, this is something that energizes the base, I suppose. He kept using that term over and over again. The deplorables are not the ones responsible for the plight of a lot of people in the middle class. And he cited millennials as well. Did you catch that when uh, he said... But-
1: Definitely, and so I mean, really, what his, his uh, he's got an interesting argument. It's almost Michael Morris, uh, you know, like Michael Moore's in that in terms of tackling or attacking the elites in Washington in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and basically trying to identify people who are, if you want to call them deplorables, in in you know that would be like working class, working poor in the U.S. Um, who don't seem to have a voice in Washington, and importantly, the millennials because of our economic situation have been left out of uh, many of the Gains that their their parents enjoyed, ownership of housing, uh, ownership of cars, being able to save money. So he's trying to find those people who feel uh, disenfranchised and disconnected from the economy and bring them into the conversation. But most importantly, to attack the elites, the elites for their failures. And so it was very interesting to hear uh, his view on things. And I'm not the you know abandoned supporter, but I I am interested in hearing where he's coming from, so that you know we can understand what's happening in the U.S. right now in this. Very, very different and difficult time.
0: Yeah, based on what I heard anyway, if you had just returned to the planet and were away for a while and didn't know about the alleged baggage this guy carries and all the other things that have been ascribed to him, you would say, What's the fuss about? (laughs) You know, I mean, I didn't hear him really trip into uh, a racist diatribe or uh, suggest that, you know, he was misogynist. I mean, maybe that's something you can't separate and uh, down the but I didn't get any of that from the actual debate the argument seemed rather sound and as you pointed out appealing maybe that's part of the problem it's too seductive for some
1: well it's the interesting thing is he crosses lines. He, you know, you would almost think he was a socialist at times when he's on, the, on that stage, talking about working people, talking about industrial jobs, talking about, you know, working people being able to send their kids to college. And, and so as a result of that, I think people are not quite sure how to, how to respond to this because, like I said, it's almost, you, you could almost interchange Michael Moore and him at times in terms of that speech he gave on Friday.
0: Yeah, and he was indicting the party of Davos, (laughs) which I thought was also interesting, uh, and selling his brand of populism, which he said the only thing to be contested is whether populism is going to be capitalist populism or socialist populism. I thought that was an interesting uh, point of view as well. Great to talk to you this afternoon. I look forward to seeing you in here on Wednesday, John, as thank always. Thank you so much. Take care now. I thank you, yes, and you too. John Turley, you're at risk management consultant, specializing in capital markets, all kinds of experience on Bay and Wall Streets.